0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road, and Edgar Rice Burroughs' The Jewels of Opar. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is 1001 Stories for the Road. Now, Chapter 12, La Seeks Vengeance. Swinging back to the jungle in a wide circle, the ape-man came to the river at another point, drank, and took to the trees again, and while he hunted, all oblivious of his past and careless of his future... There came through the dark jungles and the open, park-like places, and across the wide meadows, where grazed the countless herbivora of the mysterious continent, a weird and terrible caravan in search of him. There were fifty frightful men with hairy bodies and gnarled and crooked legs. They were armed with knives and great bludgeons, and at their head marched an almost naked woman, beautiful beyond compare. It was La of Opar— High Priests of the Flaming God, and fifty of her horrid priests, searching for the purloiner of the sacred, sacrificial knife. Never before had La passed beyond the crumbling outer walls of Opar, but never before had the need been so insistent. The sacred knife was gone. Handed down through countless ages, it had come to her as a heritage and an insignia of her religious office and regal authority from some long-dead progenitor of lost and forgotten Atlantis. The loss of the crown jewels, or the great seal of England, could have brought no greater consternation to a British king than did the pilfering of the sacred knife bring to La, the Oparian, queen and high priestess of the degraded remnants of the oldest civilization upon earth. When Atlantis, with all her mighty cities, and her cultivated fields, and her great commerce and culture and riches, sank into the sea long ages since, She took with her all but a handful of her colonists working the vast gold mines of Central Africa. From these and their degraded slaves, and a later intermixture of the blood of the anthropoids, sprung the gnarled men of Opar. But by some queer freak of fate, aided by natural selection, the old Atlantean strain had remained pure and undegraded in the females descended from a single princess of the royal house of Atlantis, who had been in Opar at the time of the Great Catastrophe. Such was La. Burning with white-hot anger was the high priestess, her heart a seething, molten mass of hatred for Tarzan of the apes. The zeal of the religious fanatic, whose altar has been desecrated, was triply enhanced by the rage of a woman scorned. Twice had she thrown her heart at the feet of the godlike ape-man, and twice had she been repulsed. La knew that she was beautiful, and she was beautiful not by the standards of prehistoric Atlantis alone, but by those of modern times was Law physically a creature of perfection. Before Tarzan came that first time to Opar, Law had never seen a human male other than the grotesque and knotted men of her clan. With one of these she must mate sooner or later, that the direct line of high priestesses might not be broken, unless fate should bring other men to Opar." Before Tarzan came upon his first visit, Lod had no thought that such men as he existed, for she knew only her hideous little priests and the bulls of the tribe of great anthropoids that had dwelt from time immemorial in and about Opar, until they had come to be looked upon almost as equals by the Oparians. Among the legends of Opar were tales of godlike men of the olden time, and of black men who had come more recently, but these latter had been enemies who killed and robbed. And, too, these legends always held forth the hope that some day that nameless continent, from which their race had sprung, would rise once more out of the sea, and with slaves at the long sweeps, would send her carven, gold-picked galleys forth to secure the long-exiled colonists. The coming of Tarzan had aroused within La's breast the wild hope that at last the fulfillment of this ancient prophecy was at hand. But more strongly, still, had it aroused the hot fires of love, in a heart that never otherwise would have known the meaning of all that all-consuming passion. For such a wondrous creature as La could never have felt love for any of the repulsive priests of Opar. Custom, duty, and religious zeal might have commanded the union, but there could have been no love on La's part. She had grown to young womanhood a cold and heartless creature, daughter of a thousand other cold, heartless, beautiful women who had never known love. And so, when love came to her, it liberated all the pent passions of a thousand generations, transforming law into a pulsing, throbbing volcano of desire, and with desire thwarted, this great force of love and gentleness and sacrifice was transmuted by its own fires into one of hatred and revenge. It was in a state of mind superinduced by these conditions that law led forth their jabbering company to retrieve the sacred emblem of her high office. "'and wreak vengeance upon the author of her wrongs. "'To Werper she gave little thought. "'The fact that the knife had been in his hand "'when it departed from Opar "'brought down no thoughts of vengeance upon his head. "'Of course, he should be slain when captured. "'But his death would give La no pleasure. "'She looked for that in the contemplated death agonies of Tarzan. "'He should be tortured. "'He should be a slow and frightful death his punishment should be adequate to the immensity of his crime he had wrested the sacred knife from law he had laid sacrilegious hands upon the high priestess of the flaming god he had desecrated the altar and the temple for these things he should die but he had scorned the love of law the woman and for this he should die horribly with great anguish the march of law and her priests was not without its adventures unused were these to the ways of the jungle since seldom did any venture forth from behind Opar's crumbling walls. Yet their very numbers protected them, and so they came without fatalities far along the trail of Tarzan and Werper. Three great apes accompanied them, and to these was delegated the business of tracking the quarry, a feat beyond the senses of the oparians La commanded. She arranged the order of the march. She selected the camps. She set the hour for halting and the hour for resuming. "'and though she was inexperienced in such matters, "'her native intelligence was so far above "'that of the men or the apes "'that she did better than they could have done. "'She was a hard taskmaster, too, "'for she looked down with loathing and contempt "'upon the misshapen creatures "'amongst which cruel fate had thrown her, "'and to some extent vented upon them "'her dissatisfaction and her thwarted love. "'She made them build her a strong protection "'and shelter each night, and keep a great fire burning before it, from dusk to dawn. When she tired of walking, they were forced to carry her upon an improvised litter, nor did one dare to question her authority, or her right to such services. In fact, they did not question either. To them she was a goddess, and each loved her, and each hoped that he would be chosen as her mate. So they slaved for her, and bore the stinging lash of her displeasure, and the habitually haughty disdain of her manner, without a murmur." For many days they marched the apes following the trail easily and going a little distance ahead of the body of the caravan that they might warn the others of impending danger It was during a noonday halt while all were lying resting after a tiresome march that one of the apes rose suddenly and sniffed the breeze In a low guttural he cautioned the others to silence and a moment later was swinging quietly upwind into the jungle LA and the priests gathered silently together, the hideous little men fingering their knives and bludgeons, and awaited the return of the shaggy anthropoid. Nor had they long to wait before they saw him emerge from a leafy thicket and approach them. Straight to LA he came, and in the language of the great apes, which was also the language of decadent Opar, he addressed her. "'The great Tarmangani lies asleep there,' he said, pointed in the direction from which he had just come. "'Come, and we can kill him.' "'Do not kill him,' commanded La in cold tones. "'Bring the great Tarmangani to me alive and unhurt. "'The vengeance is La's. "'Go, but make no sound.' "'And she waved her hands to include all her followers. "'Cautiously the weird party crept through the jungle "'in the wake of the great ape, "'until at last he halted them with a raised hand "'and pointed upward and a little ahead.' There they saw the giant form of the ape-man stretched along a low bough, and even in sleep one hand grasped a stout limb, and one strong, brown leg reached out and overlapped another. At ease lay Tarzan of the apes, sleeping heavily upon a full stomach, and dreaming of Numa, the lion, and Horta, the boar, and other creatures of the jungle. No intimation of danger assailed the dormant faculties of the ape-man. He saw no crouching hairy figures upon the ground beneath him, nor the three apes that swung quietly into the tree beside him. The first intimation of danger that came to Tarzan was the impact of three bodies, as the three apes leaped upon him and hurled him to the ground, where he alighted half-stunned beneath their combined weight, and was immediately set upon by the fifty hairy men, or as many of them as could swarm upon his person." Instantly the ape-man became the center of a whirling, striking, biting maelstrom of horror. He fought nobly, but the odds against him were too great. Slowly they overcame him, though there was scarce one of them that did not feel the weight of his mighty fist or the rending of his fangs. We'll return with Chapter 13, right after these sponsor messages. And now Chapter 13, Condemned to Torture and Death. Law had followed her company, and when she saw them clawing and biting at Tarzan, she raised her voice and cautioned them not to kill him. She saw that he was weakening, and that soon the greater numbers would prevail over him. Nor had she longed to wait before the mighty jungle creature lay helpless and bound at her feet. "'Bring him to the place at which we stopped,' she commanded, and they carried Tarzan back to the little clearing and threw him down beneath the tree. "'Build me a shelter.' "'ordered Law. "'We shall stop here tonight, "'and tomorrow, in the face of the flaming god, "'La will offer up the heart of this defiler of the temple. "'Where's the sacred knife? "'Who took it from him?' "'But no one had seen it, "'and each was positive in his assurance "'that the sacrificial weapon had not been upon Tarzan's person "'when they captured him. "'The ape-man looked upon the menacing creatures "'which surrounded him and snarled his defiance. "'He looked upon La and smiled.' In the face of death, he was unafraid. "'Where is the knife?' La asked him. "'I do not know,' replied Tarzan. "'The man took it with him when he slipped away during the night. Since you are so desirous for its return, I would look for him and get it back for you. Did you not hold me prisoner? But now that I am to die, I cannot get it back. Of what good was your life, anyway? You can make another.' "'Did you follow us all this way for nothing more than a knife? "'Let me go and find him, and I will bring it back to you.' "'La laughed a bitter laugh, for in her heart she knew that Tarzan's sin "'was greater than the stealing of the sacrificial knife of Opar. "'Yet as she looked at him lying bound and helpless before her, "'tears rose to her eyes, so that she had to turn away to hide them. "'But she remained inflexible in her determination "'to make him pay in frightful suffering.' and an eventual death, for daring to spurn the love of Law. When the shelter was completed, Law had Tarzan transferred to it. "'All night I shall torture him,' she muttered to her priest, "'and at the first streak of dawn you may prepare the flaming altar "'upon which his heart shall be offered up to the flaming god. "'Gather wood well, filled with pitch. "'Lay it in the form and size of the altar at Opar.' in the center of the clearing, that the flaming God may look down upon our handiwork and be pleased. During the balance of the day, the priests of Opar were busy erecting an altar in the center of the clearing, and while they worked, they chanted weird hymns in the ancient tongue of that lost continent that lies at the bottom of the Atlantic. They knew not the meanings of the words they mouthed. They but repeated the ritual that had been handed down from preceptor to neophyte "'since that long-gone day when the ancestors of the Piltdown Man "'still swung by their tails in the humid jungles that are England now. "'And in the shelter of the hut, La paced to and fro beside the stoic ape-man. "'Resigned to his fate was Tarzan. "'No hope of succour gleamed through the dead black of the death sentence hanging over him. "'He knew that his giant muscles could not part the many strands "'that bound his wrists and ankles, for he had strained often.' but ineffectually for release. He had no hope of outside help, and only enemies surrounded him within the camp. And yet he smiled at La, as she paced nervously back and forth the length of the shelter. And La? She fingered her knife and looked down upon her captive. She glared and muttered, but she did not strike. Tonight, she thought, tonight, when it is dark, I will torture him. She looked upon his perfect, godlike figure, and upon his handsome, smiling face, and then she steeled her heart again, by thoughts of her love spurned, by religious thoughts that damned the infidel who had desecrated the Holy of Holies, who had taken from the blood-stained altar of Opar the offering to the flaming god. And not once, but thrice. Three times had Tarzan cheated the god of her father's. At the thought, Lob paused and knelt at his side. In her hand was a sharp knife. She placed its point against the ape-man's side and pressed upon the hilt. But Tarzan only smiled and shrugged his shoulders. "'How beautiful he was!' La bent low over him, looking into his eyes. How perfect was his figure! She compared it with those of the knurled and knotted men for whom she must choose a mate. And La shuddered at the thought. "'Dusk came, and after dusk came night.' A great fire blazed within the little thorn boma about the camp. The flames played upon the new altar erected in the center of the clearing, arousing in the mind of the high priestess of the flaming god a picture of the event of the coming dawn. She saw this giant and perfect form writhing amid the flames of the burning pyre. She saw those smiling lips, burned and blackened, falling away from the strong white teeth. She saw the shock of black hair tussled upon Tarzan's well-shaped head disappear in a spurt of flame. She saw these and many other frightful pictures, as she stood with closed eyes and clenched fists above the object of her hate. Was it hate that La of Opar felt? The darkness of the jungle night had settled down upon the camp, relieved only by the fitful flarings of the fire that was kept up to warn off the man-eaters. Tarzan lay quietly in his bonds, "'He suffered from thirst "'and from the cutting of the tight strands "'about his wrists and ankles, "'but he made no complaint. "'A jungle beast was Tarzan "'with the stoicism of the beast "'and the intelligence of a man. "'He knew that his doom was sealed, "'that no supplications would avail "'to temper the severity of his end, "'and so he wasted no breath in pleadings, "'but waited patiently in the firm conviction "'that his sufferings could not endure forever. "'In the darkness,' La stooped above him. In her hand was a sharp knife, and in her mind, the determination to initiate his torture without further delay. The knife was pressed against his side, and La's face was close to his, when a sudden burst of flame from new branches thrown upon the fire without lighted up the interior of the shelter. Close beneath her lips, La saw the perfect features of the forest god and into her woman's heart welled all the great love she had felt for Tarzan since first she had seen him, and all the accumulated passion of the years that she had dreamed of him. Dagger in hand, La, the high priestess, towered above the helpless creature that had dared to violate the sanctuary of her deity. There should be no torture. There should be instant death. No longer should the defiler of the temple pollute the sight of the Lord God Almighty. A single stroke of the heavy blade, and then the corpse to the flaming pyre without. The knife arm stiffened ready for the downward plunge, and then La, the woman, collapsed weakly upon the body of the man she loved. She covered him with her body, as though to protect him from the hideous fate she had ordained for him, and in trembling, piteous tones she begged him for his love. For hours the frenzy of her passion possessed the burning handmaiden of the flaming god, until at last sleep overpowered her, and she lapsed into unconsciousness beside the man she had sworn to torture and to slay. And Tarzan, untroubled by thoughts of the future, slept peacefully in La's embrace. At the first hint of dawn, the chanting of the priests of Opar brought Tarzan to wakefulness. Initiated in low and subdued tones, the sound soon rose in volume to the open diapason of barbaric bloodlust. La stirred. Her perfect arm pressed Tarzan closer to her. A smile parted her lips, and then she awoke, and slowly the smile faded, and her eyes went wide in horror as the significance of the death chant impinged upon her understanding. "'Love me, Tarzan!' she cried. "'Love me! Then you shall be saved!' Tarzan's bonds hurt him. He was suffering the tortures of long, restricted circulation— WITH AN ANGRY GROWL, HE ROLLED OVER WITH HIS BACK TOWARD LAW. THAT WAS HER ANSWER. THE HIGH PRIESTESS LEAPED TO HER FEET. A HOT FLUSH OF SHAME MANTLED HER CHEEK, AND THEN SHE WENT DEAD WHITE, AND STEPPED TO THE SHELTER'S ENTRANCE. COME, priests OF THE FLAMING GOD, SHE CRIED, AND MAKE READY THE SACRIFICE. THE WARPED THINGS ADVANCED, AND ENTERED THE SHELTER. THEY LAID HANDS UPON TARZAN, AND BORE HIM FORTH. AND AS THEY CHANTED, They kept time with their crooked bodies, swaying to and fro to the rhythm of their song of blood and death. Behind them came law, swaying too, but not in unison with the chanted cadence. White and drawn was the face of the high priestess, white and drawn with unrequited love and hideous terror of the moments to come. Yet stern in her resolve was law. The infidel should die. The scorner of her love, should pay the price upon the fiery altar. She saw them lay the perfect body there upon the rough branches. She saw the high priest, he to whom custom would unite her, bent, crooked, gnarled, stunted, hideous, advance with a flaming torch and stand awaiting her command to apply it to the wood surrounding the sacrificial pyre. His hairy, bestial face was distorted in a yellow fanged grin of anticipatory enjoyment. His hands were cupped to receive the lifeblood of the victim, the red nectar that at Opar would have filled the golden sacrificial goblets. La approached with upraised knife, her face turned toward the rising sun, and upon her lips a prayer to the burning deity of her people. The high priest looked questioningly toward her. The brand was burning close to his hand, and the wood lay temptingly near. Tarzan closed his eyes and awaited the end. He knew that he would suffer, for he recalled the faint memories of past burns. He knew that he would suffer and die, but he did not flinch. Death is no great adventure to the jungle-bred who walk hand in hand with the grim specter by day and lie down at his side by night through all the years of their lives. It is doubtful that the ape-man even speculated upon what came after death. As a matter of fact, as his end approached, his mind was occupied by thoughts of the pretty pebbles he had lost yet his every faculty still was open to what passed around him. He felt La lean over him, and he opened his eyes. He saw her white, drawn face, and he saw tears blinding her eyes. Tarzan! My Tarzan! she moaned. Tell me that you love me, and that you will return to Opar with me, and you shall live. Even in the face of the anger of my people, I will save you. This last chance I give you. "'What is your answer?' "'At the last moment, "'the woman-in-law had triumphed "'over the high priestess of a cruel cult. "'She saw upon the altar "'the only creature that had ever aroused "'the fires of love within her virgin breast. "'She saw the beast-faced fanatic "'who would one day be her mate, "'unless she found another less repulsive, "'standing with the burning torch, "'ready to ignite the pyre. "'Yet with all her mad passion for the ape-man, "'she would give the word to apply the flame,' if Tarzan's final answer was unsatisfactory. With heaving bosom she leaned close above him. Yes or no, she whispered. Through the jungle, out of the distance, came faintly a sound that brought a sudden light of hope to Tarzan's eyes. He raised his voice in a weird scream that set La back from him a step or two. The impatient priest grumbled and switched the torch from one hand to the other, at the same time holding it closer to the tinder at the base of the pyre. "'Your answer,' insisted La. "'What is your answer to the love of La of Opar?' Closer came the sound that had attracted Tarzan's attention, and now the others heard it, the shrill trumpeting of an elephant. As La looked wide-eyed into Tarzan's face, there to read her fate for happiness or heartbreak, she saw an expression of concern shadow his features. Now, for the first time, she guessed the meaning of Tarzan's shrill scream. He had summoned Tantor, the elephant, to his rescue. La's brows contracted in a savage scowl. You refuse La, she cried. Then die. The torch, she commanded, turning toward the priest. Tarzan looked up into her face. Tantor is coming, he said. I thought that he would rescue me, but I know now from his voice that he will slay me and you and all that fall in his path, searching out with the cunning of Sheeta, the panther, those who would hide from him, for Tantor is mad with the madness of love. La knew only too well the insane ferocity of a bull elephant in must. She knew that Tarzan had not exaggerated. She knew that the devil in the cunning, cruel brain of the great beast might send it hither and thither "'hunting through the forest for those who escaped its first charge. "'Or the beast might pass on without returning. "'No one might guess which.' "'I cannot love you, Law,' said Tarzan in a low voice. "'I do not know why, for you are very beautiful. "'I could not go back and live in Opar. "'I who have the whole broad jungle for my range. "'No, I cannot love you, "'but I cannot see you die beneath the goring tusks of mad Tantor.' CUT MY BONDS BEFORE IT IS TOO LATE. ALREADY HE IS ALMOST UPON US. CUT THEM, AND I MAY YET SAVE YOUR LIFE. A LITTLE SPIRAL OF CURLING SMOKE ROSE FROM ONE CORNER OF THE PYRE. THE FLAMES LICKED UPWARD, CRACKLING. Law STOOD THERE LIKE A BEAUTIFUL STATUE OF DESPAIR, GAZING AT TARZAN AND AT THE SPREADING FLAMES. IN A MOMENT THEY WOULD REACH OUT AND GRASP HIM. FROM THE TANGLED FOREST CAME THE SOUND OF CRACKING LIMBS AND CRASHING TRUNKS. Tantor was coming down upon them, a huge juggernaut of the jungle. The priests were becoming uneasy. They cast apprehensive glances in the direction of the approaching elephant, and then back at La. Run! she commanded them, and then she stooped and cut the bonds securing her prisoner's feet and hands. In an instant Tarzan was upon the ground. The priests screamed out their rage and disappointment. He, with the torch, took a menacing step toward La and the ape-man. "'Traitor!' he shrieked at the woman. "'For this you too shall die!' Raising his bludgeon, he rushed upon the high priestess, but Tarzan was there before. Leaping into close quarters, the ape-man seized the upraised weapon and wrenched it from the hands of the frenzied fanatic, and then the priest closed upon him with tooth and nail. Seizing the stocky, stunted body in his mighty hands, Tarzan raised the creature high above his head, hurling him at his fellows who were now gathered ready to bear down upon their erstwhile captive. Law stood proudly with ready knife behind the ape-man. No faint sign of fear marked her perfect brow, only haughty disdain for her priest and admiration for the man she loved so hopelessly filled her thoughts. Suddenly upon this scene burst the mad bull, a huge tusker, his little eyes inflamed with insane rage. The priest stood for an instant paralyzed with terror, but Tarzan turned, and gathering Law in his arms, raced for the nearest tree. Tantor bore down upon him, trumpeting shrilly. Law clung with both white arms about the ape-man's neck. She felt him leap into the air and marveled at his strength and his ability as, burdened with her weight, he swung nimbly into the lower branches of a large tree and quickly bore her upward beyond reach of the sinuous trunk of the pachyderm. Momentarily baffled here, the huge elephant wheeled and bore down upon the hapless priest who had now scattered, terror-stricken, in every direction. The nearest he gored it through high among the branches of a tree. One he seized in the coils of his trunk and broke upon a huge bowl, dropping the mangled pulp to charge, trumpeting after another. Two he trampled beneath his huge feet, and by then the others had disappeared into the jungle. Now Tantor turned his attention once more to Tarzan, for one of the symptoms of madness is a revulsion of affection. Objects of sane love become the objects of insane hatred. Peculiar in the unreadden Annals of the Jungle was the proverbial love that had existed between the ape man and the tribe of Tantor. No elephant in all the jungle would harm the Tarmangani, the white ape. But with the madness of must upon him, the great bull sought to destroy his long-time playfellow. Back to the tree where Law and Tarzan perched came Tantor, the elephant. He reared up with his forefeet against the bowl, "'and reached high toward them with his long trunk. "'But Tarzan had foreseen this "'and clambered beyond the bull's longest reach. "'Failure but tended to further enrage the mad creature. "'He bellowed and trumpeted and screamed "'until the earth shook to the mighty volume of his noise. "'He put his head against the tree and pushed, "'and the tree bent before his mighty strength. "'Yet still it held. "'The actions of Tarzan were peculiar in this extreme. "'Had Numa, or Sabre, or Sheeta, or any other beast of the jungle been seeking to destroy him, the ape-man would have danced about, hurling missiles and invectives at his assailant. He would have insulted and taunted them, reviling in the jungle Billingsgate he knew so well. But now he sat silent out of Tantor's reach, and upon his handsome face was an expression of deep sorrow and pity. For all of the jungle folk Tarzan loved Tantor the best. Could he have slain him, he would not have thought of doing so. His one idea was to escape, for he knew that with the passing of the must, Tantor would be sane again, and that once more he might stretch at full length upon that mighty back and make foolish speech into those great, flapping ears. Finding that the tree would not fall to his pushing, Tantor was but enraged the more. He looked up at the two perched high above him, his red-rimmed eyes blazing with insane hatred, and then he wound his trunk about the bowl of the tree. "'spread his giant feet wide apart "'and tugged, trying to uproot the jungle giant. "'A huge creature was Tantor, "'an enormous bull in the full prime "'of all his stupendous strength. Mightily he strove, until presently, "'to Tarzan's consternation, "'the great tree gave slowly at the roots. "'The ground rose in little mounds and ridges "'about the base of the bole. "'The tree tilted. "'In another moment it would be uprooted and fall.' The ape-man whirled Law to his back, and just as the tree inclined slowly in its first movement out of the perpendicular, before the sudden rush of its final collapse, he swung to the branches of a lesser neighbor. It was a long and perilous leap. La closed her eyes and shuddered, but when she opened them again she found herself safe, and Tarzan whirling onward through the forest. Behind them the uprooted tree crashed heavily to the ground, carrying with it the lesser trees in its path. And then tantor, realizing that his prey had escaped him, set up once more his hideous trumpeting and followed in a rapid charge upon their trail. Chapter fourteen A Priestess, but yet a Woman At first, La closed her eyes and clung to Tarzan in terror, though she made no outcry. But presently she gained sufficient courage to look about her, to look down at the ground beneath, and even to keep her eyes open during the wide, "'perilous swings from tree to tree. "'And then there came over her a sense of safety "'because of her confidence in the perfect physical creature "'in whose strength and nerve and agility her fate lay. "'Once she raised her eyes to the burning sun "'and murmured a prayer of thanks to her pagan god "'that she had not been permitted to destroy this godlike man, "'and her long lashes were wet with tears. "'A strange anomaly was Law of Opar, "'a creature of circumstance torn by conflicting emotions.' "'now the cruel and bloodthirsty creature of a heartless god, "'and again a melting woman filled with compassion and tenderness, "'sometimes the incarnation of jealousy and revenge, "'and sometimes a sobbing maiden, generous and forgiving, "'at once a virgin and a wanton, but always a woman. "'Such was law. "'She pressed her cheek close to Tarzan's shoulder. "'Slowly she turned her head until her hot lips were pressed against his flesh.' She loved him, and would gladly have died for him, yet within an hour she had been ready to plunge a knife into his heart, and might again, within the coming hour. A hapless priest seeking shelter in the jungle chanced to show himself to enrage Tantor. The great beast turned to one side, bore down upon the crooked little man, snuffed him out, and then, diverted from his course, blundered away toward the south. In a few minutes Even the noise of his trumpeting was lost in the distance. Tarzan dropped to the ground, and La slipped to her feet from his back. "'Call your people together,' said Tarzan. "'They will kill me,' replied La. "'They will not kill you,' contradicted the ape-man. "'No one will kill you while Tarzan of the Apes is here. "'Call them, and we will talk with them.' La raised her voice in a weird, flute-like call that carried far into the jungle on every side. From near and far came answering shouts in the barking tones of the Oparian priests. We come! We come! Again and again, La repeated her summons, until singly and in pairs, the greater portion of her following approached and halted, a short distance away from the high priestess and her saviour. They came with scowling brows and threatening mien. When all had come, Tarzan addressed them. "'Your law is safe,' said the ape-man. "'Had she slain me, she would now herself be dead, and many more of you. "'But she spared me that I might save her. "'Go your way with her back to Opar, and Tarzan will go his way into the jungle. "'Let there be peace always between Tarzan and law. "'What is your answer?' "'The priests grumbled and shook their heads. "'They spoke together, and law and Tarzan could see that they were not favorably inclined toward the proposition.' They did not wish to take La back, and they did wish to complete the sacrifice of Tarzan to the flaming god. At last the ape-man became impatient. "'You will obey the commands of your queen,' he said, "'and go back to Opar with her, "'or Tarzan and the apes will call together the other creatures of the jungle "'and slay you all. "'La saved me that I might save you and her. "'I have served you better alive than I could have dead. "'If you are not all fools,' You will let me go my way in peace, and you will return to Opar with Law. I know not where the sacred knife is, but you can fashion another. Had I not taken it from Law, you would have slain me. And now your God must be glad that I took it, since I have saved his priestess from love mad Tantor. Will you go back to Opar with Law, promising that no harm shall befall her? The priests gathered together in a little knot, arguing and discussing. They pounded upon their breasts with their fists. They raised their hands and eyes to their fiery god. They growled and barked among themselves, until it became evident to Tarzan that one of their number was preventing the acceptance of his proposal. This was the high priest whose heart was filled with jealous rage because La openly acknowledged her love for the stranger. When by the worldly customs of their cult she should have belonged to him. Seemingly, there was to be no solution of the problem until another priest stepped forth and, raising his hand, addressed La. Kadj, the high priest, he announced, would sacrifice you both to the flaming god. But all of us, except Kadj would gladly return to Opar with our queen. You are many against one, spoke up Tarzan. Why should you not have your will? Go your way. Why should you not have your will? Go your way with Lot to Opar, and if Kadj interferes, slay him. The priests of Opar welcomed this suggestion with loud cries of approval. To them it appeared nothing short of divine inspiration. The influence of ages of unquestioning obedience to high priests had made it seem possible to them to question his authority. But when they realized that they could force him to their will, they were as happy as children with new toys. They rushed forward and seized Kaj. They talked in loud, menacing tones into his ear. They threatened him with bludgeon and knife until at last he acquiesced in their demands, though sullenly. And then Tarzan stepped close before Kaj. Priest? he said. La goes back to her temple under the protection of her priests and the threat of Tarzan of the Apes that whoever harms her shall die. Tarzan will go again to Opar before the next rains, and if harm has befallen La, woe betide Kadj, the high priest. Sullenly, Kadj promised not to harm his queen. Protect her, cried Tarzan to the other Oparians. Protect her, so that when Tarzan comes again, he will find La there to greet him. La will be there to greet thee, exclaimed the high priestess, and La will wait, longing, always longing, until you come again. Tell me that you will come. Who knows, asked the ape-man, as he swung quickly into the trees and raced off toward the east. For a moment La stood looking after him, then her head drooped, a sigh escaped her lips, and like an old woman, she took up the march toward distant Obar. Through the trees raced Tarzan and the apes until the darkness of night had settled upon the jungle, and then he lay down and slept, with no thought beyond the morrow, and with even law but the shadow of a memory within his consciousness. But a few marches to the north, Lady Greystoke looked forward to the day when her mighty lord and master should discover the crime of Ahmed Zek and be speeding to rescue and avenge and even as she pictured the coming of John Clayton, the object of her thoughts squatted almost naked beside a fallen log, beneath which he was searching with grimy fingers for a chance beetle or a luscious grub. Two days elapsed following the theft of the jewels before Tarzan gave them a thought. Then, as they chanced to enter his mind, he conceived a desire to play with them again, and, having nothing better to do than satisfy the first whim that possessed him, he rose and started to cross the plain from the forest in which he had spent the preceding day. Though no mark showed where the gems had been buried, and though the spot resembled the balance of an unbroken stretch several miles in length, where the reeds terminated at the edge of the meadowland, yet the ape-man moved with unerring precision directly to the place where he had laid his treasure. With his hunting-knife he upturned the loose earth, beneath which the pouch should be, but "'though he excavated to a greater distance "'than the depth of the original hole, "'there was no sign of pouch or jewels. "'Tarzan's brow clouded "'as he discovered that he had been despoiled. "'Little or no reasoning was required "'to convince him of the identity of the guilty party, "'and with the same celerity "'that had marked his decision to unearth the jewels, "'he set out upon the trail of the thief. "'Though the spore was two days old "'and practically obliterated in many places,' "'Tarzan followed it with comparative ease. "'A white man could not have followed it twenty paces twelve hours after it had been made. "'A black man would have lost it within the first mile. "'But Tarzan and the apes had been forced in childhood "'to develop senses that an ordinary mortal scarce ever uses. "'We may note the garlic and whiskey "'on the breath of the fellow strap-hanger, "'or the cheap perfume emanating from the purse "'of the wondrous lady sitting in front of us, "'and deplore the fact of our sensitive noses but as a matter of fact, we cannot smell at all. Our olfactory organs are practically atrophied, by comparison with the development of the sense among the beasts of the wild. Where a foot is placed, an effluvian remains for a considerable time, it is beyond the range of our sensibilities, but to a creature of the lower orders, especially to the hunters and the hunted, as interesting and oft-times more lucid than the printed page to us nor was Tarzan dependent alone upon his sense of smell. Vision and hearing had been brought to a marvelous state of development by the necessities of his early life, where survival itself depended almost daily upon the exercise of the keenest vigilance and the constant use of all his faculties. And so he followed the old trail of the Belgian through the forest and toward the north, but because of the age of the trail he was constrained to a far from rapid progress. The man he followed was two days ahead of him when Tarzan took up the pursuit, and each day he gained upon the ape-man. The latter, however, felt not the slightest doubt as to the outcome. Some day he would overhaul his quarry. He could bide his time in peace until that day dawned. Doggedly he followed the faint spore, pausing by day only to kill and eat, and at night only to sleep and refresh himself. Occasionally he passed parties of savage warriors, but these he gave a wide berth, FOR HE WAS HUNTING WITH A PURPOSE THAT WAS NOT TO BE DISTRACTED BY THE MINOR ACCIDENTS OF THE TRAIL. THESE PARTIES WERE OF THE COLLECTING HORDES OF THE WAZIRI AND THEIR ALLIES WHICH BASULI HAD SCATTERED HIS MESSENGERS BROADCAST TO SUMMON. THEY WERE MARCHING TO A COMMON rendezvous IN PREPARATION FOR AN ASSAULT UPON THE STRONGHOLD OF Ahmed ZEK. BUT TO TARZAN THEY WERE ENEMIES. HE RETAINED NO CONSCIOUS MEMORY OF ANY FRIENDSHIP FOR THE BLACK MEN. It was night when he halted outside the palisaded village of the Arab raider. Perched in the branches of a great tree, he gazed down upon the life within the enclosure. To this place had the spore led him. His quarry must be within. But how was he to find him among so many huts? Tarzan, although cognizant of his mighty powers, realized also his limitations. He knew that he could not successfully cope with great numbers in open battle he must resort to the stealth and trickery of the wild beast if he were to succeed. Sitting in the safety of his tree, munching upon the leg bone of Horta, the boar, Tarzan waited a favorable opportunity to enter the village. For a while he gnawed at the bulging, round ends of the large bone, splintering off small pieces between his strong jaws, and sucking at the delicious marrow within. But all the time he cast repeated glances into the village. He saw white-robed figures, and half-naked blacks, but not once did he see one who resembled the Stealer of the Gems. Patiently he waited until the streets were deserted by all save the sentries at the gates. Then he dropped lightly to the ground, circled to the opposite side of the village, and approached the palisade. At his side hung a long rawhide rope, a natural and more dependable evolution from the grass-rope of his childhood. Loosening this, he spread the noose upon the ground behind him, and with a quick movement of his wrist tossed the coils over one of the sharpened projections of the summit of the palisade. Drawing the noose taut, he tested the solidity of its hold. Satisfied, the ape-man ran nimbly up the vertical wall, aided by the rope which he clutched in both hands. Once at the top, it required but a moment to gather the dangling rope once more into its coils, making it fast again at his waist. Take a quick glance downward within the palisade." and, assured that no one lurked directly beneath him, dropped softly to the ground. Now he was within the village. Before him stretched a series of tents and native huts. The business of exploring each of them would be fraught with danger. But danger was only a natural factor of each day's life. It never appalled Tarzan. The chances appealed to him, the chances of life and death, with his prowess and his faculties Pitted against those of a worthy antagonist. "'It was not necessary that he enter each habitation. "'Through a door, a window, or an open chink, "'his nose told him whether or not his prey lay within. "'For some time he found one disappointment "'following upon the heels of another in quick succession. "'No spore of the Belgian was discernible. "'But at last he came to a tent "'where the smell of the thief was strong. "'Tarzan listened, his ear close to the canvas at the rear.' but no sound came from within. At last he cut one of the pin ropes, raised the bottom of the canvas, and intruded his head within the interior. All was quiet and dark. Tarzan crawled cautiously within. The scent of the Belgian was strong, but it was not live scent. Even before he had examined the interior minutely, Tarzan knew that no one was within it. In one corner he found a pile of blankets and clothing scattered about, but no pouch of pretty pebbles. A careful examination of the balance of the tent revealed nothing more, at least nothing to indicate the presence of the jewels. But at the side where the blankets and clothing lay, the ape-man discovered that the tent wall had been loosened at the bottom, and presently he sensed that the Belgian had recently passed out of the tent by this avenue. "'Tarzan was not long in following the way that his prey fled. "'The spore led always in the shadow "'and at the rear of the huts and tents of the village. "'It was quite evident to Tarzan "'that the Belgian had gone alone and secretly upon his mission. "'Evidently he feared the inhabitants of the village, "'or at least his work had been of such a nature "'that he dared not risk detection. "'At the back of a native hut, "'the spore led through a small hole recently cut in the brush wall, and into the dark interior beyond. Fearlessly Tarzan followed the trail. On hands and knees he crawled through the small aperture. Within the hut his nostrils were assailed by many odors, but clear and distinct among them was one that half aroused a latent memory of the past. It was the faint and delicate odor of a woman. With the cognizance of it, there rose in the breast of the ape-man a strange uneasiness, the result of an irresistible force which he was destined to become acquainted with anew, the instinct which draws the male to his mate. In the same hut was the scent-spoor of the Belgian, too, and as both these assailed the nostrils of the ape-man, mingling one with the other, a jealous rage leaped and burned within him. Though his memory held before the mirror of recollection no image of the she to which he had attached his desire, like the tent he had investigated, the hut, too, was empty, and after satisfying himself that his stolen pouch was secreted nowhere within, he leapt, as he had entered, by the hole in the rear wall. Here he took up the spoor of the Belgian, followed it across the clearing, over the palisade, and out into the dark jungle beyond. Join us next week Sunday at noon for chapters 15, 16, and 17 of The Jewels of Obar*, A Tarzan Adventure. We always appreciate reviews. So if you have a chance, please just send us a review for 1001 Stories for the Road. We would appreciate that very much. Thanks for listening. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Stories for the Road. Stay safe. And we'll be back soon.